Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, A Greener Afterlife. The Gateway is excited to be talking with Return Home, a green funeral home offering a sustainable and ethical alternative to burial and cremation services. Return Home specializes in terramation or human composting and they are currently operating the largest and most transparent facility in the world. They began with the desire to offer a more earth-friendly alternative to traditional death care, and they wanted to empower families to make death care decisions that make our world a better place. On their journey so far, They have realized that people resonate with their mission because many of us feel an innate desire to return to the earth when we die. Bree, welcome to The Gateway. Thanks so much for having us today. It is such a pleasure to be here. I'm very glad to finally be speaking with you, Russ. Yes, we we are we are thoroughly excited and I want to start our conversation where we always do with with the beginning and and really kind of uh, an overview of what return home is as a company as as an organization and really as as more of a social movement. Can you just give me uh, some overall understanding of of what what you're doing? <laughs> Yeah. So when I first started with Return Home, I don't know if I quite anticipated the um, the different levels of involvement that we would have as far as how it would just completely change my understanding of death and dying and, and really the industry as a whole. But really Return Home began with the idea that uh, we can be doing better for our end of life care and we can be more sustainable. And and Micah, who's the CEO of the company, his mother was always in uh, making sure that there was like environmental regulations and she worked for the state in uh, making sure that things were sustainable and, and there was longevity and we were being mindful of the environment with the choices that we made. And so I think it was innate to Micah to begin this company with just first and foremost the idea that we can die better and and you know there's a lot of um, cultures throughout the world that do natural burial and uh, we live in an area where 90 percent of the people in King County specifically Washington State are cremated and we've done a lot as uh, you know a species to lower our impact by not burning as many things and we don't talk about how you know really we burn our dead and, and that was really hard for Micah to, you know, come to terms with. He is of Jewish background. And so I think that that's where it all kind of began. So already I, I have a, a thousand questions within this. And, and I think my curiosity, it, 
it goes along with a lot of other people within at least some of the more traditional, uh, I, I, not traditional, that's the wrong word, Western cultures and, and American cultures. Because for me, my experience with, with death is either a wake or a funeral. And um, I, I really don't want to think more about it. And some person who I really never talked to or maybe more than five minutes um, comes in and next thing you know my loved one is no longer with me and that's about all I want to think about and um, that 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 then allows for a lot of ambiguity and uncertainty and and almost um, like a, a fear associated with it it makes it even more scary so um, when how do you even go about having some of these conversations and talking about may, maybe doing something different than the traditional burial or cremation? How do you even open these conversations up with people? Well, that's such a good question, because what happened was is Washington state passed legislation allowing for natural organic reduction, which is the service that we offer. And for those unfamiliar, it is the transformation of human remains into compost. And so uh, what we did was we've as a funeral industry, we're uh, overwhelmed by the amount of people who are asking us questions like, how does this work and what is the science? And so at first, people were coming to us with those questions. And I was working in what we would call the traditional Western funeral industry. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the answers. It was not something that um, if you go buy a crematory or you go buy a, a embalming machine, when you purchase those products, they work universally. They're pretty much if you work one, you can work them all. And in, in this case, the science is as old as time itself, literally, but the optimization of that science was unknown completely. And, uh, maybe even those in the space who were doing it, weren't very open and sharing their information. So that conversation started with families coming to me. And then when I got the opportunity to take the job with return home as an experienced funeral professional, I walked in and really the first, you know, questions that people, uh, that I encourage people to ask to begin the conversation is, um, you know, have you thought about what you want your last act on earth to be? And I've thought about mine and I know that I love nature and I love gardening specifically. I absolutely love being outside with my plants and I want to nourish the earth when I die. And that's what I want to do. And so beginning the conversation by, you know, introducing people to kind of a different way of thinking, but really one that once we open up the door and begin the conversation, it feels innate to everybody because, you know, a thousand years ago, this is how we went. We went directly back into the earth. I mean, there's, you know, there's there's embalming that's in the Egyptian culture and there's pyres and, you know, there's ways that people go out, but largely people pass away and they're placed in the ground and they're returned to the earth because the body does that on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once you start the conversation, it really becomes uh, a back and forth. And I've had very few people um, not be just at very least understanding of the process. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So then when when we're talking about turning our remains in back to the soil, back to nature, what what are you all doing with return home that is different than um, laying someone to rest in in a 
burial plot in the ground the, um, or like in, in a traditional coffin. Um, yeah. what, what's that different then, I guess? So that's a natural burial or a green burial that you're referring to. It's practiced by many cultures. Um, mm -hmm. And many times they're shrouded or put in a pine box with no hardware. Um, and then they're put into the ground and then their body breaks down over time. And that's how that goes. Um, what we have in the Pacific Northwest specifically is a lack of resources in the natural burial uh, frame, as well as kind of just, it, we don't have a ton of land. We're right on the coast of Seattle, wow. you know, we're, we're in the Puget Sound. And so we can't expand any further west than the mountains and ultimately what we've designed is a process that is an above ground in vessel system where each individual has their own vessel and it's the urban equivalent to what we consider a natural burial because we give the family that same tangibility of cremated remains so at the end the family can take the soil home with them um, but we also have the ability to enrich the earth where we're putting people directly back into the earth as compost or soil after the process has taken place. And so um, it, it doesn't take land use in perpetuity. It's more like uh. a cremation or cremated remains scattering than a burial space, but it can still be a place that's, you know, memorialized in maybe just not the same way as a traditional cemetery. So when, when we talk about resources within afterlife care, I, I mean, cemeteries do take up a large amount of space within our country if, 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 they're, if it's there, if it's available. Um, is, is that something that ends up be, becoming a benefit to what you're trying to do? Or I, I, you've mentioned resources a couple of different times and, and burning and, and, you know, potentially putting more things, more, more negative elements into the atmosphere. What are the, the benefits to saving resources or conservation or green? How are you kind of putting all of that together within, within return home and what you're doing? Well, we believe really strongly in, you know, returning organic matter back to the earth. And with burial, it's a little bit different because it, as a traditional Western funeral director, um, for the majority of my career, I have a lot of reverence for um, a space to visit. I do actually believe that that's important. And so mm -hmm. I believe that we should continue to have cemeteries. I just think that putting people in, uh, you know, uh, either stainless steel or just uh, gauged steel caskets, um, bunch of hardware, and then inside of a liner that's made of concrete and rebar, or some of them are, is, you know, bronze. I mean, there's some wow. incredibly expensive outer burial containers you can get. So, so for me, I like the idea of just kind of direct to earth, keeping the area a little bit wild, but definitely having those places for memorialization, because at least in the U.S., we are not going to run out of space to bury people. I mean, truly, we, mm -hmm. we have tons and tons of space all over the United States, but it's about the local area. And really what our deal is, is to talk to those families who would be more cremation families. And Got just, it. you know, I think that what doesn't happen is there's never a conversation about what cremation actually is and who are the operators who are, who are fulfilling these services and, and thinking about what their job actually is and, and kind of maybe questioning everything that's surrounds our uh, taking our hands off of our loved one and just kind of 
handing them over and maybe even never seeing them again. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's the resource of the cremation is about 30 gallons of propane per cremation. Wow. So um, for an example for you, we uh, the cremation takes maybe two, two and a half hours to complete, 30 gallons of propane. And then anything that the body could give the earth is goes up the smokestack as greenhouse gas. Got so. It. What happens is, is with our process in terramation, we have a, a vessel that never moves. It's not agitating. It's not, there's nothing inside the vessel moving things around. It's an empty vessel. We fill it with straw, alfalfa, and sawdust. We lay the person on that bed of organics, and then there's more organics placed on top of them, and they just stay on our racking system. And wow. our process takes uh, 30 to 60 days for the first phase of the process and then a second 30 days for the compost to rest and uh, release CO2, essentially off gas a little bit and cool in temperature before we return to family. So our process lasts a total of 60 to 90 days. And in that 60 to 90 days, we are using about an eighth of the consumption of energy that a two to two and a half hour cremation takes. And to wow. me, that's staggering. It, 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 yeah. Uh, Josh, if I, if I can Please. jump in. I, I wanted to say, first of all, Brie, it's, it's really great to have you and making a topic like that fascinating, like you guys do a return home, I think is, uh, it's, it's super interesting to me. And, and as you were mentioning before, like US will probably not run out of space uh, for a more traditional way of, you know, uh, that, but I thinking about my country, Italy, where I know for a fact that there are places where there is pretty much no no space anymore to cemetery, where they start putting cemetery uh, miles and miles away from the city center, just because there is no physical space. Uh, but uh, even with the cremation, there are a lot of skepticism of the people uh, that say like, no, I want to be buried in the traditional way. Uh, have you encountered this type of, you know, skepticism and how do you kind of convince people or uh, explain to people what are the real benefits and uh, the, the plus of your system and what, what can be also the minuses compared to uh, other approaches? Yeah. So for us, you know, the skepticism is understandable because it is kind of a, a different way of thinking about handling the body, but at the end of the day, I, I ask them this. I say, when they're skeptical of what I do, I say, can you explain to me how the alternative is, is more preferable or why you prefer it? And then they might have an, a staunch opinion because they're coming at me with a staunch opinion that what I'm doing is a little weird, right? Or, or <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we've been called worse. We've, been, we've definitely had people question and, and, you know, people both inside of the funeral industry and outside, um, but, you know, question the reverence of the process. And, mm. and what I found is that it's really easy to explain to people that we encourage the hands that love you in life to continue loving you in death. Return Home does not believe in just turning people over um, into the hands of the funeral director to, you know, uh, prepare for, you know, we don't do embalming. So when the skeptics come to me and they say, well, I want to be embalmed and put in a casket, I say, Hey, that's great. Um, and then they say, what you're doing is gross. I say, well, as opposed to embalming, mm. because I can tell you, I've been an embalmer for almost uh, actually just at 10 years now. And I can wow. tell you that 
it's definitely, I would never have a family sit in on an embalming with me, not ever. Um, but I would have them sit in when I lay their loved one on a bed of straw and alfalfa, no problem. Um, so it is kind of like what Russ mentioned earlier, maybe just everything, um, in the industry that I've always felt like had to be behind the scenes is for a reason. And it's because it's Uh rough it's harsh. And, and so I talk to those skeptics and I say, you know, I appreciate your, your assumption, but can we really talk through how beautiful just letting the body break down is because it was, it's, it's almost like magic in the way that it is so meant to do it, that we barely have to do anything and the process completes itself. So, um, you know, that's what I say to that. And to be honest with you, like your process seems to be just accelerating what is going to actually happen anyway. Like I know for a fact in Italy, uh, people are in a uh, like traditional uh, way rest, rested in a traditional way. But then after 30 years, they are just removed from their coffee and they move under the ground on a small cell, cell because the, the bodies they compose after that amount of time. Right. So it's it's. Right. pretty much just accelerating the the composition process isn't it that's exactly what it is it's putting the body in an environment where the conditions are optimized so that the microbes in the body break the body down in a very um quick and and uh, like you said in the fashion where we're doing exactly what nature would do we've just taken that science and uh, alfalfa is nitrogen rich and the microbes mm-hmm. really feed off of that and the body raises to a temperature of about 160 degrees and uh, give or take the amount of time depending on their body makeup and how much energy they have. Larger people with higher body fat take more time because they have more energy to use. Yeah. And um, But really what we've done is we've created an environment where that breakdown can happen in an just absolutely optimized place. And what we come out with is uh, amazing fertile compost that um, is very odor uh, neutral. It doesn't have a smell at all. It, it's, uh, got a very neutral pH. It's about seven, 7.1 for the pH. It's got calcium and phosphorus and it's beautifully nutritionally dense. And so it's wonderful for the earth. And, uh, and that's what we've done is we've taken nature and just optimized every little bit of it. Well, Brie, I'm, I'm thoroughly fascinated by everything you're, you're saying. And, And so I want, I want to ask a question, but I want to preface it by saying that I'm not trying to be rude or insensitive or anything like that stuff, because again, I, I, I think that lends itself to some of the mystery and, and just um, ignorance of afterlife care, because people just would rather not ask questions than, than be insensitive. Um, with what you're talking about and, and in that process of, you know, the, the, the time that you're all um, working with these loved ones, are there are there remains left, or is it literally all turned into to fertile soil? Like, are there still any bones left there? Like, do you do you have to go through with a rake and kind of and a sieve and and figure out what's good and what's bad? Like, is is that a, a reasonable question at all, or am I just totally. crazy? 
Okay. No, I'm so glad you asked because that is a big misconception. There's a couple and that's one of them is that it is so magic that the bones disappear and anybody who is at all a scientist or biologist or anthropologist know that that is not the case. Um, and it. so what happens is, is our vessels stay on a racking system for the first 30 to 60 days, depending on how long it takes the body to um, break down. And what we do is after the third week, we go to an external rotator. And okay. from that point, we can see how much energy the body has left because the temperature will continue to spike when we rotate. Oh, okay. Wow. So every once in a while, maybe it's every, you know, week or whatever that looks like, or five days, but we go. And when the energy level is uh, no longer making that temperature spike, we know that we're ready to go to what we call screening. And screening is just like after a cremation. So okay. when a cremation takes place, you sweep out the bones out of the oven, essentially. It's called a retort. Um, you clear that area and then you go sift for, uh, you know, metal parts that may have been in the body or in the container that they were cremated in. So you have like this process. We've duplicated that. It's just in, in mass because when people go into their vessel, um, um, they're going in at a certain ratio of the organics to their body weight where they end up producing about 400 pounds of compost. So Whoa. we end up with, a, it's a very large vessel and we have a very large screening area, but it's all replicable to what already exists in the space. And so we do just what you said. We remove the bones because what happens is, is they don't break down and they also have implants sometimes. So like older people will have a hip implant or mm -hmm. some people have, you know, screws and there's all sorts of titanium and steel in there. So we go through and we, um, we clear those out and then we use a system for our bone essentially breakdown that is akin to a crematory. So we use a machine that's proprietary to our system specifically where it breaks down the bone into porous pieces. And what happens is, is we can then incorporate those bones back into the compost. And because there's still microbial activity, the microbes will break that bone down to where it's not visible or it's just become one with the compost because it's so porous that they can do that at that point. So we're able to completely integrate the entire person's body into that compost. And what families are receiving back is their entire and complete loved one. Plus that's, a bunch of organics. Yeah. That's uh, so when you said that you'll a, a traditional body will create around 400 pounds of of natural compost what what if someone doesn't uh, i know this sounds okay again i'm, I'm going to put all these things aside and be like i'm not trying to be rude and we know that um, no, but what if someone it. doesn't want 400 pounds of of compost to to have their their loved one how how do you do that I'm so glad you asked because right, like that's one of those conversations that we spoke of earlier. How do you talk to a family when they're used to receiving an earn sized amount of something? How do you talk to them about 400 pounds of something? Right. Um, that was a very interesting beginning to the career is learning how to have that conversation. Um, but people are incredibly perceptive. And what happens is, is some families will just take a small earn sized amount Okay. What we do is we purchased a green belt, which is a city certified plot of land that can never be developed upon in perpetuity. And it's an area that really needed revitalization. So we cleared it off of a bunch of garbage and even some abandoned vehicles. We cleaned it off. And what we've done is, is if the family just wants a small portion, we will take the rest of that compost to that green 
greenbelt area. We call it the woodland. And when we go to the woodland, we do scattering and we revitalize the flora that is in that area. And we uh, have noticed a lot of amazing new growth because we started scattering uh, in the fall last year, of course. And so this spring has been pretty magnificent to see how um, beautiful and how the earth has really taken to the compost and all the new little buds of things that didn't live there before that do now. And so we take their loved one there and because it's unmanned and it can never be developed upon, we can't staff it. So we don't give people the exact coordinates, but what we do is there's a hiking trail that's right alongside of that area. And we give them the name of the hiking trail so they can go see where their loved one is contributing to the, to the local wow. area if they want to. Wow. Um, uh, Ross, I think, I think another fascinating thing is of this, and, and I think maybe the biggest like misconception or, or, or maybe the, the, the number one thing people are afraid of uh, changing from the traditional is, is the fact that uh, you're not going to have like a physical space where, where you are buried. Like at least, like again, I'm going using Italy as an example, or maybe US is a little bit different, but mm -hmm. you know, my grandmother, as since I was a child, was always bringing me to the cemetery and say, okay, this is where your grand grandfather was, right? And, and you have a physical uh, space and you know that inside that specific space, there is, you know, the remains or part of the body, whatever it is, depending on how much time has, has passed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but in this case, uh, you know, you, you have to sell, you have to tell to somebody, right? Uh, you're getting 400 pounds, but maybe you're getting just a part of it and you can take it home or whatever you want. I don't know the regulation, if, if that's possible. I, I'm assuming you can bring it home if you want. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I think that's, that, that would be like for some people say like, I, I don't want to be, you know, alpha me there and alpha me gone completely, even though I'm right. there, like I'm going along like the ignorant kind of uh, comments that, that the Russ was, uh, was talking about. But I, I think that's a fear for somebody, right? Even though you are gone, but it is that, that kind of uh, idea of being not fully in one place, right? That, that yeah. or even the people that are living after you. The Don't separation is definitely something people talk about, you know, the separation of remains. And we know that there's a lot of reverence in not separating. And that's what is so beautiful about this is you can still have a cemetery plot. You can mm. mix this compost with the soil and, and tamper it down. And you can still be, you know, laid to rest in a cemetery. Ultimately, we don't think of ourselves as as much of a cemetery people. So if, if you know that you're going to go be with your family and they've got 12 plots and you're one of them and you know there's th those might not be our people because that's not really what we're trying to um, mm -hmm. at least what I don't think our demographic that we're going for um, we're definitely going for people who would have been for cremation most of the time with cremation people do divide cremated remains that is very very common in the United States at least Mm. Um, but the good news with this is that you could also not divide this compost at all. It does not have to be divided. And, and it 400 pounds sounds like a lot. Um, but if you guys have been on our TikTok at all, we have a ton of videos and mm -hmm. visuals and 400 pounds really isn't as much as it sounds like it's about a cubic yard. So if you're in a real urban area, like you live in an apartment, 
probably couldn't take the full amount. But in Washington state, if you want a cemetery on your property, you have to pay an endowment. And I think the absolute minimum that goes into that is $25,000, but you can't bury your loved one on your property in Washington state uh, without going through a ton of effort and work. And some people do want that. And for those people, this is a wonderful option, certainly. And um, we've had one family work with a traditional funeral home as well, where um, it was more of like a traditional burial, but they mixed the compost with the soil and, uh, and the cemetery was fine with it. So we think yeah. it can work either way. And, so and one, yeah. one additional question, just a curiosity is, is religion play a role into this? Is like for, with your experience, is there some religion more difficult to be convinced of using terramation than other or definitely yes so we actually the catholic church just straight up wrote a paper and released it about um the process itself and they likened it to food scraps um okay i believe if they visited the facility i believe that they would see that we have a lot of reverence um i cannot speak for other providers though is the thing you know i can't Mm -hmm. speak for everybody offering the service what Mm -hmm. i can speak for is what we do and we have so much reverence and we show our family so much love and they can still have the same almost to a T experience, except, you know, no casket as a regular funeral. Um, but, you know, specifically that, that group, but other than that, man, we have had, and we've even served a Catholic family. Um, so, you know, there, the, the, there are people who are against it, but there are people who are part of that group who don't see anything wrong with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we're going to find that we've had served a Jewish family. We've served um, an LDS family. Um, mm. So we have had a lot of different religions interested in what we're doing. Um, Wiccans, you know, well, so yeah. we kind of like we cross those boundaries. And what's so beautiful about what we've created is we don't have a prescribed group. And it's non, it's bipartisan. Everybody agrees that it feels normal. And once you visit the facility and once you are explained the science, it just feels good. And, you know, and if you have to choose something, um, if you feel good about that choice, I mean, that is the most I can hope for as a funeral professional is to give people any semblance of peace or comfort with their inevitable demise, right? Like that's, that is the least that I could hope for is to give people comfort. And, and that's what they experience. And it's bipartisan. It's across every religion because there's something inside of us that knows that we're meant to just kind of fall onto the ground and let nature take its course. Mm Mm-hmm. So Brie, I'm going to be very uh, transparent here on, on my side of things, or at least um, vulnerable and say that, uh, you know, I, I have I have some loved ones buried in a cemetery and there's there's almost a guilt associated with that. Um, for one thing, going to the damn cemetery and figuring out where the hell they're laid because I haven't been there in, you know, six months and I have to walk up and down this row of all of these other sure. love, like that's embarrassing automatically. So then I'm <laughs> like, I avoid doing that because I'm like, I can't remember exactly where and I'm like checking names and it's like finding my baggage at an airport and it feels just wrong. So I, personally, I want all of my family members to go this way so I can just walk along a bike path and be like oh they're here somewhere and I don't have to have the guilt of that but it's there is something really to me inspiring and 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 
and emotional to think that, hey, you know, these these plants and, and these these flowers, these trees are all benefiting from it rather than, OK, there's this cold stone with their name carved in it for, for me personally. Do you see uh, other people kind of having that that connection with it on, on more of that natural side of things or am I just goofy? No, it's you're totally spot on. And actually, that's something that, you know, for for here's an example for keeping the person together, because this was a family who meant something to them that they did not divide the compost. What you're talking about is permanent memorialization. What this family did is they put a tree barrier wall on their property that is going to grow to protect their home from weather. Oh, wow. Okay. And they have a plaque. They have a, they actually got a stone, an engraved stone that's there at the base and it's very large, but that is their cemetery, right? So like, Mm -hmm. instead of going to have to find their loved one and, and, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about it, Russ, because I have such a, an on the ground view of what happens in the funeral home. And I have so much knowledge that over the years I've, I've, I feel like I have I'm an expert in my field. I feel like I have that much knowledge, but then hearing you talk about it, I think about days that I looked out and I saw people wandering and I grabbed the map and I ran out there because I knew they felt what you're feeling. Yeah. I knew they felt bad that they couldn't find their person. And, and at some point you see the frustration where they're like, kind of starting to like put their hands on their hips or above their head. And they're like, where is, and you know, I remember having those moments And then now I serve this family where literally their, their father is going to protect their land from, you know, snow drifts or what, what have you. That to me is a whole new way of thinking about your loved one's memorialization and, and questioning, you know, maybe not questioning the grouping because I know that, you know, cemeteries are amazing and mm-hmm. there's tons all over the world and there's different ways that they do it. And there's above ground and below ground and markers and headstones. Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between all of these things, but what about the family who owned their land for hundreds of years yeah. and they want their loved one to return to the land in a super meaningful and, and, you know, amazing way where they can see his life live on in those trees forever in perpetuity. I mean, to me, that's next to none as far as a permanent memorialization goes. Yeah. Um, and and I think you've kind of touched on this, but I want, I want to make sure we, we cover this one. Um, things grow from this, right? Like it, it's a good thing. It's helpful. Oh, yeah. Like this, this isn't, you know, if someone did say, Hey, I have, I have a plot for a garden and I want to utilize this. This is beneficial. It's not like it's all of a sudden a, a toxic wasteland where, where you pour this stuff. Right. No. So the temperatures in the vessel are such for so long that any pharmaceuticals, any pathogens um, with an asterisk, we cannot help families who their loved one passed away from a prion related illness. Um, so that's important. So like Creutzfeldt Jakob or mad cow disease, because those proteins will live on and those are very, very dangerous and, and the temperature will not um, wow. make those inert. Um, but every other, you know, pathogen pharmaceutical. So if someone's received chemo, that, or yeah, that's whatever what I was that gonna ask. like, totally yeah. not a problem. They become inert 
And because wow. our the the rule with composting is 131 degrees for 72 hours, our vessels are at upwards of 160 degrees for I mean like two two and a half weeks. I mean yeah. we just blow the minimums out of the water. So the compost and we do have to get tested too. So mm. you should know the state of Washington does rigorous soil testing to make sure that our levels are such that there's no fecal coliform and there's no issue with you know any kind of funkiness going on inside of the soil. Um, and now that our science is so dialed, I mean, we've absolutely had zero issues at all, which has been a relief actually, because with new science comes those fears, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I want to turn to um, the more, I guess we could say, let's just use the term capitalistic side of this stuff. Um, so the, the funeral, it, industry is just that it's an industry there is money to be made and there are costs associated with all of these different um ones what what is the investment for utilizing like a service like return home and composting um compare maybe maybe compared to you know uh, the traditional coffin and all of that stuff is is this something that's yeah. out of reach for for most people or or, or that stuff i, I I'm, again, so, I'm trying not to be rude. <laughs> no, not at all. That's a totally great question because a lot of people wonder. Um, where I'm at in the Pacific Northwest, where I worked previously, a cremation with a memorial service at the firm was uh, about $5,000. And okay. so what we did is we actually mirrored our competitor who was open before us with our price. They've gone up $2,000. We've remained the same um, at $5,000. That's what we charge $4,950. At the cemetery portion of where I worked, uh, I have seen, I mean, literally upwards of tens of thousands of dollars for a traditional burial. I mean, I think that's no surprise, right? Correct. Um, but at our firm, the most it can be is $5,500 because we have a $500 charge if you want to have a service there. Um, but that's on our general price list. And we tried to make it really accessible to the people, at least in our area. Mm-hmm. And I know as we expand and and if this gets to be a point where we have higher volume that we can lower our price, I mean, we would love to do that in the future. I, I, was, I see us as being a more like lower our fees more than up our fees because mm-hmm. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was charge people tens of thousands of dollars to just bury their loved one. It never quite felt right unless the family really wanted it. But sometimes you couldn't tell if the family wanted it or they just felt like they needed to do it. And if yeah. that makes sense to you. It does. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Bri, I, I do have a kind of follow-up question like regarding this and, uh, and maybe, uh, maybe it sounds a little bit stupid, but is it possible for somebody overseas? I know, I know you serve U.S., in Canada already, but is it possible for somebody to fly from overseas and do the service and then bring them back? Or is that not something you guys have looked into or considered? We've looked into it a lot. And what we've come upon is that most every single country requires embalming to be shipped out of that country, or they have to be cremated and then they can be sent back. The cremated remains can. So they're cremated in their area. But for us, you know, we cannot accept people who have been embalmed. And there's so many regulations in place for out of country shipping that requires embalming to take place. And so um, mm-hmm. for right now, 
now it's kind of a non-option, but, you know, we don't know what the future holds. And, and I do see, uh, we have absolutely no problem. We've had no trouble with, uh, we've had people from across the United States, you know, we've had people fly in from all over and we've never, ever had a single issue. So we know it's possible, but getting the rules and laws to pass that would make that happen doesn't seem like something I'll probably, uh, we'll probably see before we would just open in an area nearby. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you guys, are you guys considering like, I don't know, opening, uh, a Terramation center in Europe, like, or just going to Yeah, because Katie actually is from London herself. And so one of our staff is, would love to go, you know, back home or at least back to that area. Um, but it would take legislation, you know, it takes mm -hmm. the, the movement of, of laws, rules, regulations to be able to make these things happen. Um, but if it ever did happen, I mean, we would love to expand because we do get a lot of interest um, from the UK. We get, we've had people from uh, like Australia, uh, Southern Africa. I mean, we get people, especially on our TikTok specifically that are from literally all over the world, tons from Japan. So wow. yeah, we would love to expand to different areas um, as they're making this process legal. And we would love to make sure that it's being done with reverence and, and with a lot of care and compassion as they expand, because with all death service comes this kind of like numb quality where the people providing the service kind of detach and they separate themselves. And we encourage family participation so much that we just want to keep the relationship with the families and their loved ones who died and have the person who helps them just take them by the hand and guide them through every single bit of the process um, and be a resource to them. And, and to be honest with you, like thinking about like the sustainability aspect of it, like the, the fact that it can actually benefit the environment, given you know the climate change, all the other issue we have with our planet, I think that would be maybe a way to accelerate the process of getting regulation to make it possible somewhere else. Uh, but yeah, that this this was definitely super interesting to me. Thank you for for sharing with us all this. Oh gosh, of course. And we actually have on our website, um, it's returnhome.com forward slash I'd rather be compost. And it's just our legislation page, but we have uh, a thing on there that's a map and we'll, right now it's just the US and Canada, but in the future, hopefully it'll be a world map. And we provide people with a letter that they can uh, just fill out a short form and we send them a letter that they can send to their representative, whoever that might be in their area. So we already kind of, we've taken a step to try to make it as easy on people as we can for them to reach out if this is something they really want in their local area. So, so Brie, and, and I know we're getting close to kind of wrapping up here, um, but I, I want to I ask you as, as a funeral professional and, and expert and someone who has been doing it um, for, for literally a decade, is, does this work is this work hard for you as a person? Is this difficult to, to do? Because you mentioned, you know, detaching and, and cutting away from it. And it sounds like you you have a unique perspective on, on the work you're doing. So what's it like for you as a person, you know, <laughs> driving down the road on a Tuesday going to do this work? 
Ross, that is a profound question because I'll tell you something. I was, before I started at Return Home, burning out would be an understatement. Um, Mm. I was really unhappy with the work that I was doing and it may have had something to do with COVID. Um, Mm. I did leave the traditional industry and joined this team, um, right. Kind of at, uh, you know, in 2020. So it was, uh, part of the frustration I was feeling was the lack of involvement with the families during COVID. It was really hard as an industry for us. Cause you know, we do like people to be involved if they can be, um, but what I'll say is this, when I started, I actually intended to be a restorative artist. It's something I'm super passionate about. And that is a, a level of embalming that is above kind of your basic embalmer. And it is somebody who specializes in essentially putting people back together after devastating accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, that is why I got into the industry. I wanted that to be my specialty. And I feel really passionate about it actually still to this day. It's something I love to do because it if God gives you the ability in the hands to give this gift back to families and you're able to make their loved one look anything like they did before you've done them a favor and a service really. And, and so that was just so motivating to me. And what happened was, as I moved to the Pacific Northwest and 90% of our people are cremated. So I ended up being a crematory operator. I mean, like nonstop, I was cremating, uh, many times, uh, two to three people a day. And that's actually a low, like I know crematories that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, wow. just turning people over every two hours. And so, um, for me, I didn't know that cremation and working the crematory was actually kind of hurting my mental health. I, I did not like burning people. And and what people don't know, and if you're not in the industry, is that sometimes, especially with larger folks, you have to lift the door up a little or you go in through a hole in the door to adjust the person underneath this big flame that's in there. Um, and that's a really tough thing to do. I mean, it's very metal, you know, it's like hardcore to, <laughs> yeah. to open and, and see this burning body and, and, you know, move it around. I mean, and the smells and I just, I didn't know that it wasn't good for me until I wasn't doing it anymore. Uh. <laughs> Russ, uh, I don't know if you- I don't know if we have time for one last question, but it's something I'm curious about. Uh, you know, I'm very passionate about technology. I'm, I'm just like curious about what is the role of technology in, in an industry like funeral? Is there a role or you see something uh, technology will help you guys to do the work you guys are doing? Um, just, just curious about this. Well, we had to come up with our own technology for this process. We did all of the research and development. A bunch of our uh, machinery is proprietary and a bunch of the science that we use as far as our monitoring systems and things like that are all put together and and created by aeronautical engineers and people who have a lot of experience with um, engineering and building. So technology for us has been completely self-started in but really the 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 main technology that we're using is the body's own ability to break down naturally. So that's what makes this whole thing so cool. And actually that's what makes this job, pinging off the last question, uh, excite me again. And it really lit uh, a fire, if uh, no pun intended, <laughs> in my soul to serve people again, because 
when you do go to work every day and the most you do is lay someone on a on a bed of straw and alfalfa and I grew up on a ranch in Montana a lot of summers and the smell of that brings back home to me and it just feels so much more natural to be able to offer something like this that uh yeah I just can't say enough how you know before and after I now could never go back to general space because I just know the alternative and I like it so much better. Bree, thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for this conversation and everything you've shared with, with us and, and the listeners. Um, I, I don't know about Biagio, but I, I, I feel like th- this is where I'm, I'm heading. So um, for, for the, the way I want my body to be. Um, so, you know, for, for all those listening, um, let's just say 150 years in the future, right. When I pass away, then um, this is probably how, how I want to, <laughs> I want to go out. So let it be known on this day that that's, that's what I would like. So Bree, um, truly thank you with this one. And, and before we jump off, um, I feel like in, in a lot of these podcasts, people tag their, their pluggables and socials and all of that stuff. Um, but for, for you and for return home, I feel like this might actually be a really beneficial moment in the podcast. So if someone's interested in learning more about what you're doing or, or utilizing your services, um, how can they get a hold of you? So we're very reachable. Uh, we on our website, of course, or you can just Google us. We answer the phone 24 seven. We don't have an answering service. So if you call, it's either me or Katie who answers. We also have a chat box on our website at www.returnhome.com where we can answer any questions and we're usually available on there. Um, but mostly we're really active on our social media. So TikTok specifically at return home N O R we have just a ton of videos and educational uh, informational videos that explain the process, explain what it looks like, explain if there's odor in the facility. I mean, there's so many things we didn't get to cover today. The answer is no, by the way, in short, but (laughs) like there's so many intricacies about what we're doing that we love to share with people. And so we try to keep that on our social media, but we're very reachable. And we just love answering the questions because we think that transparency and a real honest conversation in this space uh, can actually maybe change the world in the way that we look at death and dying. And that's just so motivating. And and I can't thank you all enough for having us here to be able to speak about this because a lot of people um, don't even know it exists still. So being able to share it and and talk to others about it is, is super meaningful. The last thing I'll say is that we are just south of Seattle is SeaTac Airport in a town called Auburn. And so if you all are ever in the area, I would love to have you for a tour or any of your listeners, because we'd love to have people visit so that they can just see it in person, because it's very impactful to speak about, but even more so when you get to visit. Free. Thank you, and truly, thank you for the work you're doing and the invite. Um, it this it, we've done a, a bunch of these episodes, and and I think this is one that that is the the most emotional for me in a good way. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with uh, all of us, and and uh, you know continue to do good work. Okay. Thank, thank you, you so much. For, thank you guys. It was such a thank pleasure. You.
And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening, and remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.